Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a man that is in a very, very bright spot in the market and I think is going to get brighter. That's my prediction, but we'll get his take on it. He comes out of the distressed part of the market, starting in single families and uh, and is also in multifamily. And so this is going to be a very interesting conversation because I think talking about right place at the right time, he is the owner and director of acquisitions at High Five Group. He is Jimmy Edwards. So Jimmy, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hey, Roger. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. You you got it. You got it. And uh, I got to tell you, you've got a very sophisticated look, man. You got, you, you look very <laughs> al-courant. I'm going to tell you with the beard, the, the specs, you know, it's like, hey, man, you you look like you could be uh, right across the bay from me in San Francisco, although you were, couldn't be further from San Francisco in, in any respect of, of the word. Love it. I appreciate the, appreciate the compliment. You, you got it. So, Jimmy... Tell me, uh, you know, you're you're in, I think, DFW. Tell me, uh, I, I know you went to a great school there, Texas Tech. Where do you hail from originally? Is that is that where you're born and raised? Or uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Texan through and through. I was born uh, in Irving, but I, I was raised in Austin since about two years old. So, you know, just a blue collar kid from Austin, Texas and moved out to Lubbock, went to Texas Tech. Shortly after, lived in Houston for a couple years and then, you know, headed into the recession. I, I moved up to Dallas about, you know, 2009 and I've been here, been here since. So not, haven't really ever, I've lived in Texas my whole life. So, well, you know, interesting. So you, you've lived in, in, in the three parts of the triangle, uh, which is interesting. So what, what's your favorite? I mean, and you're obviously in Dallas now, but what, what's your favorite market? You know, how, how do you even compare those three markets? They all I mean, have their, all, they all have their stereotypes. That's right. They're, they're all different. You know, I like them all in, in different ways. And, you know, just like probably any other metropolitan area, I mean, there's, you know, parts that you personally favor over others. You know, I miss Austin, but mostly because, when I go back, you know, you just, you, you get this feeling that reminds you of tastes and smells and, you know, all the similar things, but it's certainly changed a lot, you know, since I lived there 20 years ago. I liked Houston a lot. It was certainly, you know, very multicultural. I mean, the people were laid back. It was, it was nice. And then, you know, Dallas, I just, I haven't left because um, it's just a great place to be business wise. So, um, you know, kind of quarterbacking from the central location, uh, has really just done, you know, fared well. So I've, I've, I just haven't, haven't moved. You know, something I've heard about Houston and we'll get to the business stuff. Um, but something I heard about Houston in the last month or so, which was interesting because I just didn't know this, but that basically that when you, and the reason I asked the question is because you brought up the multicultural aspect to it that that the people there get along, coexist very, very well 
uh, across races, cultures, et cetera. Is that, is that kind of been your experience or is that your viewpoint? I mean, and it was very interesting. It was an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I really feel so. You know, I, there was a lot of, uh, Houston's an interesting place and I felt like very multicultural. And I just, I, you know, I remember, uh, feeling like, uh, there was a lot of people from South America in, in Houston that I, you know, was kind of, running into and meeting and, and, and talking to, but yeah, I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, you know, it does seem to be, you know, everyone kind of intermingles. And so, you know, it's different than some of these other cities where, you know, there's, there's some elitism somewhere and, and, and it doesn't really, you know, it's, it's just, it's very interesting, but yeah, that, that's how I felt. And that was my observation and, and I really enjoyed it. Got it. So give me your background. I, I know that you were in the mortgage business and, and kind of maybe mm-hmm. give me the, the linear progression of how you got to where you are and uh, you know, however you want to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I never really was expecting to go to college and I ended up going to college, which turned into a, a really good experience for me. But, you know, there's that's probably a longer story. I'll condense it. But my, my last year... Uh, my, one of my last semesters, one of my professors had me read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that just completely changed my trajectory. I moved to Houston. I got a job with a, uh, uh, this was probably 2006. And so we were still kind of in an expansion stage. And I got a job as a, as a, at a, at a condo development, high rise, new construction. I was a sales consultant, did that for a couple years. And then around 2009, I moved up. Uh, to Dallas for a couple different reasons, but ended up getting into mortgages, um, you know, kind of as the economy was, you know, starting to, to crumble. And I did, I did really well there. You know, I mean, rates were going down. People were refining. They had all these programs for people that were underwater, you know, so I learned a lot about finance and numbers and leverage. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I feel fortunate and, you know, it was, it was painful at the time. I heard a lot of, sad stories, right? I mean, people, you know, it, it was tough, but I was able to help a lot of people. And, you know, I did that from 2009 to 2012. And I, I bought my first property in 2011. I mean, it was, you know, pennies on the dollar. And uh, into 2012, um, I shifted into uh, flipping houses. So 2013, started flipping houses full-time. Did that for, you know, Five years, flipped about a hundred houses. Did that from uh, 2013 to 2017, and then kind of 27, 2018, shifted into apartments, and really just been been buying, buying and selling apartment buildings for the past five years full time. So, um, you know, kind of, I really believe like you know everything happens for a reason, right? Like you know, at, at each one of these turns, there was probably a little bit of of pain, and you know, I could you know. I can tell story. You know, I, I like to tell stories, so I could probably go into each one of them. Um, but you know, you shift and you adapt, and and you know, each step ends up, you know, kind of trajectory, you know, putting you into uh, another position that that you you know never really imagined. This, so you just kind of keep growing, and and you look back, and you're like, oh man, like, you know, that I learned that from, you know, I learned so much from that, and this, and this, and here I am, and I'm, you know, well rounded for what I'm trying to accomplish. So it's like, it's super interesting to me. Just out of curiosity, you said, you know, blue collar kid in Austin didn't think you'd go to college. And I was just curious to know why is that? I love it. I just, you know, I, I was, 
uh, I'm, I'm pretty ADD sometimes. My attention span is like super short unless I'm, you know, stimulated. And so I just, you know, I, I was good at like math in high school. I was good at science, you know, like history bored me, English bored me. Um, and I just like, I wasn't really interested. Like I just, it, I, I just, you know, I was like, oh man, you know, I got to go, you know, sit around and, you know, I, I just, you know, I wasn't a great student in high school. I mean, I, you know, I, I got, you know, I ended up being like a B student, right? Cause some things were pretty easy to me, but like, I just, you know, I couldn't sit still, you know, my, all my friends ended up going, I sat down with my guidance counselor. She ended up like, Hey, like you're, you're a smart kid. And, you know, she kind of spun it a different way, right? Like, you know, you you look at these things that you're good at and the things that you're not good at. Um, the cool thing about, you know, higher education is that you actually can pick and choose the things that you're interested in and learn more about those. You know, the first year might be, you know, a lot of intro things and not always the things that you want to learn. But she was like, if you can kind of figure out and, you know, start thinking about what you're interested in, then you might actually enjoy it. And I, so I was like, you know, that's, that's interesting. Ended up giving it a shot. And, you know, sure enough, I mean, I started in engineering, didn't love it, uh, shifted to business, uh, started in marketing, thought it was not challenging enough, ended up switching to finance. Um, and then that got really hard. And so like the, my, you know, like I said, my senior year, instead of taking like corporate finance three, accounting three, I found out that I could take real estate classes and get a, degree of finance with the emphasis in real estate. So I did that. And then, you know, like I said, the, the, the last semester I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, oh man, this real estate thing is awesome. Let's, let's do this. Uh, this, you know, everybody I know that's, that's rich is in real estate. So let's, let's do it. Um, and then, you know, just, I, I like the math. I like the investing, you know, I like being able to take, you know, risks, um, that I'm comfortable with, um, you know, just all the, all the things. Jimmy, when you, uh, you're talking about like, um, you know, different transitions in life and, you know, there's pain and you transition and you grow. And so, you know, you were flipping from 13 to 17, 2017 or what have you. What was the pain around flipping and what you were doing at that time in 2017 that caused the transition into doing it in sure. multifamily? Sure. So probably like 2016 was one of our kind of, you know, we had, we did a lot of volume. I think we did like 60 transactions. And so going from 16 to 17, you know, at the end of the year, it's kind of like, okay, you know, where are we headed? And we looked at the numbers and it, you know, it was like 50% of these transactions did 80% of the margin, right? So it's like, okay, let's, let's do less volume. Let's focus on, you know, higher margin deals. And then that worked really well. And so then it was like, okay, well, well what's next? Do we do, you know, do we hire more crews? Do we, you know, how do we scale? Do we do bigger houses, which I felt carried more risk? Do we do new construction, which I felt carried some risk? And kind of right around that time, it was towards the end of the year, 2017, we, we had a house, we bought it right. It ended up, you know, having uh, the, the rehab was a little more than expected, which, you know, it feels like you're always over budget, but it, it went on the market you know, uh, towards the holiday season. And there was like seven, you know, or eight other rehab properties that went on the market that weekend. And the one subdivision within the four corners of the major intersections, and it just saturated this little pocket, right? And so, you know, I feel like everyone was 
you know, in competition to see who could drop the price the fastest. And we let a couple guys win that game. And, you know, it took us, took us, you know, longer than I would have liked to get in to contract. And then, um, you know, that ate up, you know, the interest. I think we had a hard money loan on that deal and it ate up a lot of the interest into our profits. And then, you know, uh, just kind of all the things that happened, right? And you, we, we ended up taking a loss on that deal. You know, I think it was like, you know, at the end of the day, it was like minus 10 or 15K, maybe even 20. And it was the same time we were looking at how are we scaling for next year? What are we going to do to evolve? And then I learned about apartment buildings, right? And I'm like, you know, it's basically the same to buy a building. You're going to rehab it. I learned about forcing appreciation, which hurt us on an appraisal. Um, but then I also like, to me, the most brilliant part is, is that you combine two of the things that we were doing, which is we were accumulating rental properties and we were flipping houses. You move into buying apartments and you can, you're, you're basically, you know, doing one big flip, but at the same time, the tenants are covering your expenses. So to me, it was just like, it was a no brainer because that was most of the risk of carrying, you know, doing a flip house is, you know, you're, you're, you're carrying all the risk because you're, you're, the expenses are on your own dime. So then when you move into it being uh, inhabited while you're doing the improvements, I mean, it was just to me, it, it made all the sense in the world. And, and who is, when you say we, by the way, do you have a, a business partner or what is that? Yeah, I do. My business partner, Catherine, she, um, we go back to the uh, 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 Texas Tech days. Um, she's actually, uh, she's, uh, she married one of my good friends from college and we've known each other for a long time. And her background is in construction. Um, she used to do, uh, the due diligence and construction management for other apartment owners, um, kind of before we started working together and we started working together in, in 2013 and we really kind of developed a, a system. Um, she would manage you know, the construction, do all the, the CapEx. And, you know, I was, uh, I would feed the pipeline, right? So, you know, I like finding deals, you know, I, I like uh, doing that part. So we just made this conveyor belt and it worked really good going into apartments as well, you know, because it's kind of the, the same process, right? Find deals, you know, rehab them. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you're doing the asset management and the other things involved. So it's a little more, but yeah, I mean, she's been my, my main, my main, uh, partner for like the past 10 years. And, uh, it's, it's been really good. And, and what is the size of these apartments? Uh, well, you could say starting out, what is it now? You know, what does that look like? Sure. Sure. Yeah. We bought, uh, our, our first apartment deal was 16 units. Um, and then we did, you know, another three or 400 unit deals after that. Um, and then, uh, the most recent one we bought in 20, 21 was like 168 units. We, uh, you know, I kind of like that 150 unit range. Um, you know, you, you, you get, it's scalable with the staff, right? Like one of the things with some of these hundred unit buildings that was, you know, difficult was if you, you know, you can run it with one in, you know, one in, you know, uh, uh, personnel inside and one outside, right? So you got a manager and, and a, and a, and a maintenance guy, but you know, it hurts when one of them gets sick or has an emergency. So like, as you scale up into that 150 to 200 zone, you know, you kind of have, you know, you have more people on site uh, to navigate any, any challenges. But 
so yeah, uh, you know, mostly bigger, bigger deals. And, and, and so in, in the, the, the bigger deals that you were in, which I, you know, boy, I, I laud your, uh, courage to, to make that leap like that, you know, coming out of single families. That, that's impressive. Um, what vintage and you talking about pretty serious, deep value add here? So we've, we've, uh, we've grown a lot, you know, we've, we, we really started out. I mean, that first 16 unit deal we did was probably an F. I mean, I think it was close to being condemned and we rehabbed it into, you know, C plus, B minus. I mean, rents went from 500 to, to 1200 once we repositioned it. So that was a pretty heavy, heavy lift. The next deal, 100 unit deal we did was 50% occupied. It, it went down to like 38%. Um, and then we filled it back up. So that was a, that was a heavy lift. When was that? When was that? When was that one built? That was built. So these were, that was, these were both built in the sixties. Okay. Sixties. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've realized over the, the years, you know, coming from this flipping houses mentality, my brain had to make adjustments, right? Like you, you know, once you've been doing enough rehabs, you know, it's almost like, you know, you, you start looking for these dogs, right? Because you know, you're going to, you're going to buy them right and you're going to make money. But, you know, as I started doing more and more multifamily deals, what I realized was, you know, that's not always the best use of your time, right? You know, you can find a lot of opportunities and in, in operational value add. It doesn't always have to be physically distressed. And then, you know, as we all know, over the past couple of years, there was a lot of cap rate compressions, you know, between the asset classes. So we started really, you know, I, I, I like kind of the, the, the B buy box, you know, I kind of like eighties vintage. I mean, you know, probably everything that everyone's looking for, but you know, we've, we've fought, uh, with chillers before. Um, we fought with, with flat roofs before we fought with aluminum wiring. We've, we did a whole, replaced the whole property on 128 unit deals, a stab blocks. I mean, it's just all of the things. And, you know, you're starting to get to where the cities, you know, are, are, uh, make it more difficult. Um, the, the insurance companies are making it more difficult. And so there's just all these things where it's like, you know, we've, we've done these deals because that's what we could get our hands on when we first started. And that's what excited us. But, you know, as I'm, you know, as we're growing and we're looking towards, you know, our goals for 2023, I mean, you know, I think we're really looking for 80s or newer, you know, I'm, if, if, if we get cap rate expansion between the asset classes, like I'm, you know, I'm willing to do heavier lift to make more money, like, right? Like, I mean, I've always said, I'll, I'll buy anything at the right price, but, you know, as cap rates between the, the asset classes got very close, you know, it's like, man, why are we breaking our backs on some of this stuff? So, you know, just trying to get into, you know, that, that first generation value add, you know, eighties or nineties products, uh, and, you know, in a good location, that's not, you know, that this maybe just mismanaged. Are, are prices on C coming down? Is cap rate, is cap rate, uh, coming apart again? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it. I've, you know, and it's, it's been interesting because, you know, there's still kind of a, a mismatch between seller and buyer expectations. And, you know, but what I've started to see is that the ones where the prices are starting to make more sense when I underwrite are, you know, C 
see products that are, you know, probably, you know, chiller systems, flat roof and a not so great location. And, you know, so that probably carries a little bit more risk, but you can probably buy it at a better, better price. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the past couple, 10 years ago, the first recession I, I went through and then also, you know, going through COVID and kind of what asset classes struggled a little bit more. And we sold, uh, we, we were a net seller this year. I mean, this summer was, was crazy. We had a couple deals under contract that, um, you know, just they didn't work out. And, uh, we had a couple to sell that we sold. Um, so we sold a couple deals this year. And, you know, as I look into next year, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see this, you know, nothing like, you know, before I think it's going to get tight. I am starting to see occupancy, um, is getting a little, uh, is coming down a little bit. I think, I think we had some, uh, inflated occupancy when we were giving out all this, you know, rent money. And I think occupancies began to come down a little bit. And so I'm just, you know, as I'm looking down the barrel of, you know, some, some turbulence, I'm kind of thinking, you know, A people move down to B, B people move down to C, um, you know, where do I want to be? You know, I, I, I want to be in a good area and a B and a B deal or better. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, when you said cities make it hard, what, what did you mean by that? Like, um, pulling permits, you know? Um, so some cities, you know, you just, you have these guys that, uh, it just, they just make it really difficult. Right. And it's like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm trying to improve something here and, and, you know, do something better for 120 residents and all of the things that you want me to do along with that. Uh, just make it unaffordable. So I, I, I can't, I'm not going to do it. Right. And it's, so it's, it's sometimes it's just like, you know, it's one of those things where, where it's like, you know, they just, they kind of get in their own way, uh, with, with, with some of this code stuff. And it's like, I, I understand why new building code is this way. I understand why that's better, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's cost prohibitive to do some of these things. Right. And so it's just, you know, uh, you know, you, you it, it seems like over the past 10 years, they've gotten stricter, right? And so it's like, whereas some, you know, before, like you used to could be able to change a, you know, a panel out, um, you know, uh, just do a panel swap. But now it's like, like I said, it's almost cost prohibitive sometimes. So are you guys, um, are you guys, uh, holding any of these properties thinking, uh, longer term? Are you pretty much, you know, create value and turn them in a certain amount of time? Yeah. I mean, for, for the most part, a, a three to five year plan, there has been multiple times where I'm like, oh man, you know, let's refi this one and keep it. And then, you know, something in the market will shift, right? Where it's like, it's almost, you know, it's like, well, you know, do I want to hold this C for 10 years or do I want to trade up, you know? So then you end up selling and you look for, for other deals. So, I mean, I, you know, I think the end game, right, would to be, you know, to to have a bunch of deals that cash flow and, you know, you've you, you've cash out refied at some point and, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're it's an infinite return. But I feel like it at every point, you know, you end up needing to spend some money to take it to the next level. And sometimes it, it just kind of makes sense to let someone else do that. And then, you know, we trade up into a newer, newer asset class. But I do think that kind of the, the C properties are going to get more enticing over the next 12 to 18 months as, as cap rates, you know, 
spread between the asset classes. But, um, you know, I'd love to own, you know, a couple, couple hundred thousand doors, right. For, for the rest of my life. But, you know, we gotta, we gotta move them, move them to get there. So you need velocity of money. Yep. Yep. That's right. Okay. And then are you syndicating these deals? So we, yes, some of them, but also we've bought, we've done some of them ourselves. It's probably been like 50, 50, you know, there's, there's, um, the 16 unit deal we did, we bought that ourselves. We 1031 that into a hundred unit deal. And then, uh, we'd planned to, uh, 1031 that into a deal this summer, but ultimately the rise in interest rates just, it, it didn't work out. Buying the deal we currently own as a syndication. And, uh, you know, I try to look at all deals kind of the same way. Um, but I do like having, you know, a backup plan, so to speak. And I know, you know, there's sometimes there's a deal, right? And in my gut, you know, there's ABC that add, you know, value, but like on paper, you know, uh, there's only so much you can add to the deal that you're comfortable sending out to your investors, you know, and saying, Hey, like, here's the numbers, but you know, there's a mega mall going in next door in the next five years. And I think that's going to boost the value, right? Like you can't, you know, and that's just a silly example, but you know, I I think that some deals, you know, maybe the numbers aren't as good, but I see a a different upside um, that I, you know, maybe isn't, doesn't go well on paper or, you know, vice versa, right? Like, Hey, you know, um, this is, this is a a deal I'm going to do myself because, you know, the returns are, are lower and I'm comfortable, you know, I, I'm comfortable moving that deal faster, but it would be hard for me to raise money. So, I mean, re- really both, right? I mean, it's super awesome when, you know, we make our investors money. So I love, I love that part, but you know, we try to, you know, I try to keep, uh, the pipeline open and, and sometimes we, we do deals that, you know, aren't the returns aren't as good, but you know, it's a, it's a sh- quicker flip for, for us internally. And, and like you said, keep, keep the velocity going. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I want to drill down on that just for a sec. Sure. So there's a deal, let's say, that doesn't appear to have as much meat on the bone that you don't feel compelled or, or, or you don't feel confident or whatever the word is, whatever, you, however you would deem it to, to, to take out to the market and raise money from friends, families, friends, family, et cetera. Uh, but that you would do yourself. So what is, what does that mean exactly? Like what, what would be an example that's, and, and especially too, because in the last handful of years, you know, it's been so competitive, it's been hard to get great returns anyway, I guess. Right. You know, yeah. What's that mean? Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I mean, I feel like people are getting used to, you know, doubling their money in three to five years. Right. And, um, it's almost like, you know, if it doesn't meet a certain threshold, it's, it's hard to be competitive with other deals that out there. Right. So like if I see a deal, you know, that's like a total overall 50% return, you know, and it's on a three to five year pro forma. Um, and I'm underwriting it just like I normally would. And I'm, I'm like, man, I just, you know, zero cash flow, uh, 50% return. But, you know, my gut tells me that we're going to execute X, Y, and Z much, much faster. You know, if I've got the money, I mean, I would be happy with, and then you start talking to people outside of like, you know, like yourself, right? Where you're, you're in a lot of, you're in a lot of passive investments and then you're, you know, you're talking to somebody and, you know, they're like, oh man, like, you know, I'd love to make 10% a year 
on my money, right? Um, and you're like, oh, you know, like doubling your money in, in three to five years is, is almost like, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's really good. So then you kind of step back and you're like, well, shoot, man, like if I could make a 50% return in two, two years, uh, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal. Right. So I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm looking at it, at it wrong and thinking about it, you know, differently, but you know, sometimes I just, I feel like, man, this, this could be a challenge to raise money, but you know, I believe in the deal, you know, let's, let's, let's do the deal ourselves. So, well, you know what, that's actually what I, what I'm reading into it is your, your, my, my guess is you're pretty high integrity and a lot of, a lot of other people, frankly, and this is just my dim view of humanity, but a lot of people would just <laughs> juice, juice the numbers to right. get money. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of, right. And that's not you, obviously. Yeah, we, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, it's like to, to me, you know, I, I've been in the business for a long time and I plan to be here a long time. And, you know, you work really hard to, to build, you know, a, a strong reputation. And, you know, I just, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I, I'd rather have my underwriting that I underwrite it the same way if I'm doing the deal or I'm raising money, you know, and I don't want to juice it up to, to, you know, I just, you know, I, I think integrity is important. And, you know, I think that's, you know, ultimately why we're successful. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I know I, I get it, uh, loud and clear. Uh, well, it's kind of interesting ground to cover because I don't think I've ever had that specific issue come up. So that, that's, uh, interesting. <laughs> um, how, how are you, de- how are you financing your deals? It's kind of one of those things too, where, you know, what fits. We've done Fanny, Freddie. We've done bank loans. I historically, I would, I've been around bridge financing for, for a long time, right? I mean, it's called bridge and, and multifamily, but you know, uh, we, we used to have, when we were flipping houses, you either have bank loans or you have hard money, right? And you know, the terms are a little bit, uh, softer with the bank, but, um, you know, it's, it's, at least in multifamily, you know, I'd rather do a recourse bank loan if I can qualify for it and have a, you know, seven to 10 year term as opposed to, you know, doing a non-recourse uh, bridge loan with a, you know, a three-year term, right? I mean, it just, you know, I would rather take on the personal risk, um, but have a less risky loan, you know, to, to protect yourself if you have, you know, any market changes. So, I mean, we've done, you know, one, two, three, uh, four bank loans. We've done Freddie. We've done Fannie. Um, you know, I think sometimes with these, these bank loans, you know, it's, it's the, it's the tough deals, right? Like they don't cash flow because rents are 50% below market. Um, it, it doesn't cash flow because it's 50% occupied. Um, you know, I had another one where they had, shoebox financials, right? I mean, the guy, you know, it was just, I didn't have anything to prove to the bank what was going on behind the scenes, but we got the deal at a discounted price because, you know, the seller and I agreed on that, right? Like, hey, I'm going to have to go to my bank and say, hey, this is a good deal. And you really don't have any financials because it was, you know, you know, a long-term mom and pop owner, you know, 20 years, he inherited it from this guy and he inherited it from this guy. And they just kind of it was owned, you know, free and clear and it was cash flowing. And so when we, when we went to buy it, we didn't have a lot, you know, to prove to the bank, but you know, the bank said, Hey man, at, at the price you're getting it, you know, um, 
I think it's a good deal. So let's let's keep moving forward. So um, I like banks and and that perspective. You know, it takes time to build those relationships, but you know, uh, man, I mean, you know, banks banks are when times are good that they're throwing money at you, and when times get 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 tough, you know, sometimes they act like you know they for, they forget we had this long long term relationship. So I mean, it's a, kind of a a love hate deal, but you know, you you try to build these relationships and. You know, I think you probably have, you know, if you if you buy a deal with a bank that you have a relationship, I think you have a, a better opportunity, you know, to to save the deal if something crazy in the market happens where, you know, I I, I mean, over the past 15 years, you know, I, I know guys that have bought deals on on hard money or or with, you know, some some kind of I'm having a blank here, but I call them kneecap lenders, right? Like, um, <laughs> you know, and they all they care about is the money, right? And so, like, you know, if if someone gets into a, a bad position, the bridge, the bridge or hard money lender isn't really interested in, in working the deal because they're getting greedy and they're thinking, oh man, let's take this thing back from them and and then we'll make the money. And so it's like, you know, I just I try not to put us in in situations like that. Um, not that there's anything wrong, you know, with bridge, bridge or hard money. I mean, there's, there's a, there's, I, I always say there's a vehicle for everything. Right. And, you know, but I just, if, if, if the numbers are, are similar, you know, and I can get a, a longer term, a longer term loan. I mean, I always try to try to do that. So, mm. um, what would you say, you know, ha- having, um, you know, started out where you did, First, you've been on the on the mortgage side. You flipped. You're doing multifamily. What would you say are key lessons that you've learned? Mistakes that you you know things you would not repeat. Don't over leverage. I mean, you know, it's 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 you know you can make calculated risks. Um, you know, I think that having a conservative performa. You know, again, going back to not not juicing not juicing the numbers up just to try to sell the deal because. The problem with that is, is you juice up the numbers and eventually you start buying into it too, right? So like, you know, being conservative on your pro forma, being conservative on your leverage. I mean, I, I, again, I think there's a time and place for everything, right? I mean, you know, I've, I've done deals with 100% financing, but it, it, the timeline made sense to do that, right? So, um, just making sure that you're, that you're, the vehicles that you're in, the leverage that you're in matches up with, um, your business plan, right? And and knowing that, you know, you've got a, a backup plan for that. I mean, that's really what I learned. I mean, we were the last recession and even prior to that, I mean, we were, you know, selling deals to investors and then, you know, financing went completely away for a while. It just didn't exist. And then it even got worse as people were, you know, underwater. Um, and again, you know, I mean, we were, you know, 10 years ago, the the, the loan requirements were different. Um, you know, and, and the market was different, right? I mean, you know, we've been writing good loans. Um, you know, we've been, the fundamentals are different, right? I mean, we're, we're undersupplied with over demand, whereas it was reversed last time. So, I mean, I feel that the fundamentals are good, but you know, I mean, the, 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 the government, uh, really controls it, right? So, I mean, they push interest rates up and it changes values on multifamily. So, you know, as long as you're in the right product to outlast them playing with the switch, you'll be okay, right? Because rates will come back down, you know? So, I mean, really, if, if you can, you know, as long as you can hold on for, for three years, I think in any given cycle, you're going to be okay. So if you're under leverage, make sure you got capital so you can change your leverage position. You know, it's just, 
it's really just numbers, right? I mean, at the end of the day, all it takes is time and money, right? So if you if you got both, you know, you'll do okay. You know, I, I read something by a, a pretty active uh, multifamily guy in Dallas. Um, he's got you know, several thousand units. He believes that a lot of the, uh, you know, newer, a lot of the bridge debt guys in the C&B class are going to not be able to, to have pretty restrictive covenants. You know, loan covenants are going to have to sell at a discount in the next, uh, really in 2023, 2024. Do you, do you see that happening? Yeah, I, I believe that. You know, the, the summer that we had this summer going through, um, you know, I think they're probably... And, and that's kind of what I, the observations that I've made from, you know, the previous house flipping business, right? Is that people get into the wrong vehicles sometimes and, you know, they can't, they can't get out and they try to hold on until it's too late. And, um, I've started kind of hearing some things. Um, and I, I, I do believe that I, you know, I'm, I'm man, it's, I mean, it's sad that some people are going to be in bad positions, but I think it's going to open up. You know, I think there's opportunities, you know, for guys like us that, you know, I see 2020, we, we sold, we have one deal, it's fixed rate, long-term debt. Um, we sold all of our other deals, got cash in the bank, uh, we're well capitalized. And I'm of the opinion that there's going to be a lot of opportunities like the things that you said, but, you know, again, eventually rates will come down. So if I'm buying a deal at a discount with a high interest rate, on a long-term play, then when rates do come down, it'll, you know, uh, force the appreciation back up. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a buyer, a net buyer 2023. Um, yeah, I think there's opportunities. I'm glad I'm not staring down, you know, uh, having to manage a, a deal that could be falling apart. You know, I think we, we cleaned our plate and we got the appetite. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there for sure. Got it. Okay, so changing the subject altogether. Yeah. Last question, probably the hardest question. What What is something people don't know about you? No man, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of our artistic. You know, I I used to skateboard and you know as a kid and a BMX bike and uh, I really liked drawing and art um, and all of those kind of things. Kind of shifted to now that, you know, I'm a little bit older and, um, you know, I'll buy kind of older classic cars. Um, and I'll work on them myself. I mean, I'm no master mechanic by any means, but, um, you know, I enjoy just kind of putting it, putting them back together and, you know, giving them a little bit of style. So I got a couple old classic cars that I play with and, and trucks. And so I, you know, I got a vintage motorcycle in my guest bedroom. I, I got, I got too many old junk toys, but not, you know, it keeps me busy and I, I think it's fun. Got it. Jimmy, if, if one were to uh, be motivated to contact you, learn more, how, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Just, just go to our website. It's, it's high five multifamily.com. You can read about us, you know, see what we've done, see what we're interested in doing. There's a, you know, contact us button, click it, boom, we'll schedule a call and get to know each other and see how we can help each other out. Got it. Fantastic, man. Have a great holiday season. And and I hope to do this again with you uh, maybe this time next year. Yeah, me too. That'd be a lot of fun. I, I appreciate having me on. You got it, Jimmy. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Roger. Yeah. 